You're listening to the New Hope Church podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in as today's talk comes from Randy Spade. My name is Randy, one of the pastors here at New Hope. We've been involved in a sermon series called The Push and the Pull. Uh, We've been talking about the way society, the culture around us, pulls us in a certain direction. Uh, Paul identifies many of those directions and, and tells us we need to push back. We need to push back. Uh, we have already seen the pull of division in the world that we live in. People just love to split us up and uh, put us in boxes. Paul says, push back with unity, at least inside the church. We've seen the pull of selfishness, the pushback of focusing on the kingdom. We've seen the pull of other religions, the pushback of focusing on God himself. Today we're going to look at the pull of inertia. Inertia is just the tendency of things to stay the way they are. Today we'll see the pull of tradition, the way things always have been. Now, Paul talks a lot about really bad things in the book of 1 Corinthians. But amazingly, those bad things have incredible relevance for us today. We hear what Paul talked about 2,000 years ago and we say, yeah, yeah, I see that. I see that every day. So today we're in chapter 11. Let's Jump right into it and read the first, the opening verses of 1 Corinthians 11. Paul says, I'm so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you're following the teachings that I passed on to you. But there's one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of women is man. And the head of Christ is God. A man is dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying or prophesying. A woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. This is the same as shaving her head. So if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off her hair. Since it's shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or her head shaved, She should wear a covering. No, a man shouldn't wear anything on his head when he's worshiping, for man is made in God's image and reflects God's glory. A woman reflects the man's glory. For the first man didn't come from woman, but the first woman came from man. Man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man. For this reason, and because the angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head to show she's under authority. And we read that and we go, huh? 
You know, everything up to this point seems to be really relevant, but we read this and we say, what in the world is Paul talking about? The whole passage just seems so incredibly strange to us. Now, I've known churches, I've been to churches where they look at this and they say, okay, so women in those churches don't cut their hair. I look around and I see women fashionably with short hair. Men in those churches don't wear hats inside the church. But women do. Every woman going to that church will wear a hat. And if you visit the church, they will invite you to either cover your head by removing a hanky and putting it over your head, or they will provide you with a hat. Usually it only takes once, and if you go back to that church, you bring your own hat because you don't want a hat that somebody else has had on their head, right? Now, amazingly, these things actually come from Roman culture and from Jewish culture. Romans wore head coverings when they would go to their temples of false gods and make sacrifices. We have statues, we have paintings, murals of Romans making sacrifices in pagan temples. They have their togas pulled up over their head. Paul says, so here in our church, a man doesn't cover his head. We don't follow that tradition. But a woman should cover her head. We do for a woman. And we sit and we look and we go, I don't get it. We go down the rabbit trail of Roman culture and Jewish culture. But frankly, it wouldn't help us very much today because we don't live in that culture. That's not a part of who we are. And so much of this passage is tied to the culture of the first century. So instead of looking at the details, I think it's going to be better for us if we focus on the basic concepts behind these details. What is it that Paul is really saying? So, what is Paul actually saying here? Well, let's get it out of the way. Paul is saying that a man should uncover his head when he prays or worships. Now, have you been in places where when uh, a prayer is said, the men all reach up and they remove their hats. That's tradition. And this is why we do that. We'll do it for prayers. We do it for the national anthem. We do it for very serene things. And we do it as a sign of respect. Now Paul says a man should uncover his head when he prays or worships. And he says this to a church that is half Jewish. When a Jewish man goes to the synagogue, he covers his head. Did you ever think of that? Paul says, don't cover your head. So Paul stands in the face of Jewish tradition. They cover their heads when they go to the synagogue. I don't want you to cover your heads. But a woman should. Frankly, I don't know why. 
I don't get it. He goes on to say in this passage, a little bit later, we didn't read these verses, but he goes on to say that a woman's long hair is her beauty, it's her pride, and short hair for a woman is shameful. And I'm looking at you. <laughs> no, I'm not. That's culture. That's culture. It doesn't apply today. On the other hand, long hair on a man is shameful. And you know who you are. <laughs> but again, that's culture. It's simply a different way of doing things. So we got to ask the question, what is it that Paul is really driving at? Well, I think we can find three basic concepts in the passage. Now the first one, hang with me on this first one. The focus of our prayer and worship should be to honor God. Now Paul hints at this. Later on in this passage, he says, a woman's Long hair is her pride and joy, and that is why she should cover her hair when she worships. Now, I think what Paul is saying is there shouldn't be anything that detracts from honoring and worshiping God. And if a woman's long hair is an honor and a, a source of pride, then cover your hair. Don't let it detract from honoring God. Now, I think the basic principle here is when we come together to worship, this is what we do. We worship, we honor God by what we do when we come together. And we should make sure that nothing detracts from that. So for us in the 21st century, if that means turning off your cell phone, turn off your cell phone. If that means whatever it means, if it means covering your hair, well, cover your hair. But the point is, focus on God. Now, we have a digital community with us, and we are thankful for the digital community. I've been a part of the digital audience. There were times when I visited my brother in, in, uh, in uh, uh, Phoenix, Arizona. I attended online. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, at my grandson's wedding, and I visited online. And I enjoy it. I'm able to connect. I'm able to be part of the community. I'm able to hear what is being said. But there's one thing that I've found personally, you may be different, but I've found personally that I can't do is I don't worship as well when I attend online as I do when I'm here in person. Frankly, I don't sing. And that's a big part of worship. So for me, being engaged in worship, focusing on honoring God, for me, means I need to be here. I've got to attend in person. Because in person, I don't know, maybe I'm less distracted, or at least the distractions are harder. <laughs> They're much easier to distract me 
when I'm at home worshiping online. Second concept, and Paul gets into this heavily in this passage. God created men and women to be different. Now, we live in the middle of a, in the middle of a culture, a society, in which this line is becoming fuzzy. We're told now that male and female are what you want to make it. So I go to the doctor now and I'm asked, what sex were you assigned at birth? And it just sounds so strange to me. God created me in a certain way. When I was born, the doctor looked down and said, that's a boy. I think Paul is focusing on that difference here for a reason. Now, I don't know if that reason was all that important back in the first century, but it sure is today. God created us in a specific way. He created us as men and women. Now, I want to let you in on a little secret. That does not mean that men are all to be like John Wayne and women are all to be like Barbies. That too is a cultural construct that we impose and it's wrong. I grew up in an age where guys weren't supposed to like music. They weren't supposed to like musicals or art. That's wrong. Guys can like musicals and art. That does not make them less of a man. Girls growing up are not supposed to like baseball or athletics. They're supposed to like dolls. Well, I've known girls that don't like dolls, and they're girls. You see, we let culture try to force us into a box, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. God made you a man or God made you a woman. Embrace that. Honor that. God created us to be different. We honor God when we celebrate and follow those differences. There's a third thing in the passage. Men and women should not be dependent on each other. Now, unhealthy dependency we typically call codependency. Codependency is all one-sided. I depend on you, and that's it. Paul says, no. No. We're not to be dependent on each other in that way. But he also says we're not to be independent of each other. He literally says in this passage, women are not to be independent of men, and men are not to be independent of women. What Paul wants is for us to be interdependent. Now, this is not just man and woman. This is all of us. As we build friendships inside the church, as we grow together in discipleship, we need to be interdependent. What that means is I depend on you as you depend on me. And it's as we come together that we truly grow as disciples. 
interdependence. Not dependence or independence. But learning to grow together. Learning to depend on each other. So, Paul presents a number of traditions. Roman traditions, some of them. Jewish traditions, some of them. And as he talks about the traditions, what's the church supposed to do? Well, this one is interesting. Paul says the pull of society is tradition. And we are to push back with tradition. This very passage, Paul says, when he's talking about long hair on women, short hair on men, he says, now, if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this. Neither do God's other churches. This is our tradition. Paul says, look at the traditions that we're rejecting and you replace them with new traditions, different traditions. Now, is it sin if you don't do this? Is it sin if a man has a long hair or a woman has short hair? No. Paul's just saying in the first century, these are new traditions. We have different traditions today. We're going to take a look at that. But let's talk about tradition for a period of time. You know, there's a great stage play called Fiddler on the Roof. You ever seen it? It's one of my favorite movies, actually made into a movie in the 60s. Uh, they just follow the stage play. It's wonderful. Tevya, Rev Tevya, is a father of three daughters, and he lives in a village in Russia. Actually, the village is a suburb of Kiev, so it's in Ukraine. And Tevya is pulled back and forth by new traditions. Russia is going through a major change. New leaders are asking for new things and society is moving on. His daughters, all three of them, want to marry for love, not because daddy arranges a marriage and he's dad. <laughs> he's the one who would arrange the marriage. The whole play talks about the difference between tradition. The fiddler on the roof is tradition. And it's tradition as he tries to do what he's been called to do, which is fiddle, while standing on a roof and trying to balance himself in the middle of the push and pull of society. That's why the stage play is so good and why it just speaks to us today. So at the end of the movie, at the end of the stage play, all Jews are forced out of the village. Tevya decides to go to America. His oldest daughter is going to stay in Russia. His youngest daughter isn't sure. His middle daughter says, eh, we'll make a life for ourselves here, but we'll come join you in America once you're established. 
Things are all over the place. And he looks at his wife and he says, how are we going to make it? Things are just so new. Things are just so different. What are we going to do? And as the movie closes, they start walking down a road that will lead them to a boat that eventually takes them to America. And the fiddler, who's been in the background the whole stage play, begins to fiddle. Debbie looks at him, gives him a head nod, and the fiddler follows. Tradition, that's how they survived. And if you look at the Jewish people, you will see that they are steeped in tradition, and the tradition has helped them retain their identity. Paul says tradition is important for us as Christians too. The Bible talks about tradition. The problem with tradition is sometimes we do the tradition simply because we've always done it. And we forget why. So Isaiah the prophet speaks to this. He says, the Lord says, these people say they're mine, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Man-made rules learned by rote. Do you know what that is? In a word, tradition. <laughs> a tradition is something that we've just always done. We've always done it this way, and we've kind of forgotten why, but we just keep doing it. Now, Jesus quotes this verse. He quotes it referring to the Pharisees. Do you know who the Pharisees were? There was a very bad king about 175 years before Christ. He almost destroyed Judaism. He was a Jew himself, but he saw what was happening and he decided that Israel should become a good Roman nation. So he closed the temple and he closed all the synagogues. He went into the synagogues, found the Torahs, and he brought them out and he burned the Torahs. He denied families the right to circumcise their sons. He took everything that Judaism held as tradition, and he threw it away. And then he brought a pig into the temple and had it sacrificed on the altar. Well, there was a priest named Judas. Judas rebelled at that. When the king did that, he didn't go himself. He sent emissaries. That priest killed the priest who sacrificed the pig and then killed the emissaries. And then he took a sledgehammer and he broke the altar to pieces because it had been, there, there had been sacri sacrilege on the altar. He came to be known as Judas Maccabees. Hebrew word Maccabees means the hammer. 
So long before Daryl Isaacs, Judas the hammer led Israel to revolt against that king. And through that king, they were revolting against Rome, and they won. They defeated that king. They had him thrown out. Then the Maccabees began to reteach Judaism to the people of Israel. Now, it had been about 15 years that this king was in power. And during all that time, they didn't read Torah, they didn't go to the synagogue, they didn't honor any of their traditions. They had forgotten. So a group called the Pharisees rose up. And the Pharisees began to teach the Old Testament. They helped Jews relearn what Judaism was. They began to grow in power. And by 75 BC, they became the counselors to the political leaders of the day. And when they became powerful, guess what they did? They began to teach that when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, God gave Moses two laws. He gave him a written law that we have in the Old Testament in the Torah. But he whispered in Moses' ear the oral law. And Moses whispered that law to his sons. And they to their sons and their sons after them. All the way down to the Pharisees. The Pharisees said that they now had the oral law. Special knowledge so much more important than the written law. And in fact, at times, it contradicted the written law. So Jesus quotes that verse from Isaiah. In the book of Mark, he says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. He wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. They teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And then Jesus ends the quote and he says to the Pharisees, you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Now that's the pull. Society tries to pull us away from following God through its traditions. But Paul says our pushback are new traditions. Just a couple of verses later, Paul says, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. These are the new traditions. Pay attention to the new traditions. He's already talked about customs in the church, things that they were doing that he wanted them to change. But when he says he wants them to change, he says, I've picked these traditions up from the church actually from the early church fathers, from the 12, from the disciples themselves. Now you see the problem with traditions is not the tradition itself. Most traditions are good things. The problem with traditions is when it becomes rote learning and it loses its meaning. Traditions are good if we understand why. I'm amazed that the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, don't babble on, don't repeat rote learned prayers 
like the hypocrites do when you pray this, pray this way. And he gives them the Lord's Prayer. So what do we do? We take the Lord's Prayer and we make it a rote, learned prayer. In fact, I've been in churches when they say, we will now repeat the Lord's Prayer. Not pray, but repeat. We've done exactly what Jesus said. Don't do. The true value of a tradition is when it becomes something that teaches us. So let's just quickly talk about several traditions here at New Hope. The first of them is something that we're going to do right now, the Lord's Supper. Now that's what Paul was introducing when he said, I received from the early church fathers what I'm about to tell you. And he talks to them about the Lord's Supper. Here at New Hope, we celebrate the Lord's Supper twice a month. We do it on the first and third Sundays. Do you know why we do it on the first and third Sundays? Because people who volunteer in our Kidmin program typically will volunteer on the same Sunday every month. So if we do it once a month, like on the first Sunday, volunteers on the first Sunday can never have the Lord's Supper. We don't want that. We want them to be able to enjoy, to experience it. So we do it twice a month. When we do it, we practice open communion. What that means is that you do not have to be a member of New Hope Church to enjoy communion. All you have to do is know the Lord. So twice a month, we prepare the elements. And thank you so much to the ladies who prepare these. And we celebrate together. We're going to pray for the elements in just a second, then invite you to come. I'll just let you know that here in the back of the center table only is a gluten-free option for the bread. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do come to you in memory and in thankfulness of what you've done for us. Bless these elements. Bless the bread, bless the juice. We pray that as we come to celebrate what you have done for us, that we'll draw closer to you and closer to each other. Thank you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Traditions are meaningful when you understand. Second tradition that we have is the way that we do church. Now, when I was growing up, church was done in a little bit different way. We all wore suits. I remember when I was about nine years old, my parents bought me a Hart, Schaffner, and Marks wool three-piece suit for my birthday at the end of July. <laughs> and they wanted me to wear my brand new suit to church that Sunday. I hated that suit. <laughs> it was so hot and scratchy. We even had a word for it. You put on your Sunday best, right? We do things differently. Now, there are churches where you can still go and put on a three-piece suit. And Frankly, the way we come, we've had people come in suits 
in sport jackets. We've had people come in shorts. And it does not matter to us. Come as you are. We come and we have a very diverse crowd. We're diverse in age. We're diverse in race. We're diverse in ethnicity. Diverse in the nations that we come from. Because we're convinced that coming together is more about connecting than it is about appearance. And so, as we come together, a lot of us come early and we gather around the coffee bar. And when we leave, a lot of us stay late and we just talk with each other because it's a way to connect. That is what is important to us. A couple of years ago, we looked at the way that we did things here and we tried to summarize that. We did that with eight core values. The core values, biblical. We're passionate about teaching and following God's word. Relational. We favor personal over impersonal presentations of the gospel. Shared leadership. We did away with pastoral titles. We're just pastors today. But we want that to spill down to you as you lead your class. Find ways to share that leadership. Empowering, that goes right along with that. We want you to use the gifts that God has given you to further his kingdom. As a result, what happens is sometimes messy. So we have a screen that's not working. <laughs> It's going to happen. And frankly, we plan for it. It's okay. It's risky. We're willing to do new things. We're willing to do things that we've never seen before if it communicates the gospel more effectively. Generous. We have a Love More Fund helping people in the community. We've made over 60 dispersals under 20 of those to people inside the church, over 40 to people outside the church who just need a little bit of help. And it's joyful. We love to laugh. You've laughed a couple of times during the sermon this morning. There are churches where that's not allowed. Do it here. Do it here. We believe in joy. You see... Traditions can be good. So as you seek to live, love, and go like Jesus, don't worry about what we do. Don't worry about the things that you see going on. Seek to know why we do the things that we do. Focus on God. Focus on the kingdom. Don't focus on what we've always done. Focus on why we're doing it. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning with this strange passage about first century traditions. And we admit to you, Lord, that we don't understand all of it. But we do understand that traditions are important and we need to be aware 
of what they mean. So help us as we seek to follow you. We ask this in your name. Amen. So as we respond to God's word this morning, we're going to continue to remember the questions that help us put his word into action. And so let's take a look at these questions this morning as we seek God's will and his wisdom this morning. So what is it that God wants you to do today? To be more like Jesus. What has he illuminated today in your life that you're like, you know what, I, that needs to change. That needs to be different. Secondly, what action do we need to take to be able to make those changes? What do we need to do today, this week, to be more like Jesus? Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.